So this week we wrap up our series that we've been doing, uh, Christian Worldview, The View From Here, Christian Worldview in a Postmodern World. Uh, and it's awesome to uh, this weekend have both of our campuses uh, with us uh, by video. Um, so I just want to welcome both of them. Thanks to some of the great things going on with Pastor Kevin and, and the Heights campus. I know you guys had a big uh, outreach last night and just really excited about what God's God's up to at Benton Heights, um, and also over at Stevensville. It's good to have the Stevensville uh, campus with us. Um, Pastor Chris and Pastor Jake and all the great things on two services and how well that's gone. And so just really excited to be able to have the chance to uh, kind of talk about this last installment in this series that we're in. Uh, we really are better together. Uh, one church in three locations. And so again, it's just a delight for me to be able to share with uh, our campuses uh, this weekend. Uh, so, we're talking about issues that are critical to, in this idea of worldview. We live in a crazy age. Uh, we've been talking about a worldview. A worldview, just to recap real quick, in case you're new, haven't been here for a little while. A worldview is just the framework by which we think about our world. It helps us to understand uh, uh, how, to, you know, how am I thinking, how do I act, how do I respond, how do I react with what's going on in the world. And there really are four key questions, we'll throw them off the screen for you, uh, that help us to understand and kind of frame uh, our world view, the answer, uh, as we answer these four questions. And the first uh, question is the question of where did I come from? It's the question of origin, and we answered that question uh, a couple weeks ago. It's the idea that, that we came, the answer to that is we came from God, that we, uh, uh, that he is the great creator, he's the designer, he's, he's the creator or the curator uh, of our universe. And if we look around our world, our universe screams that there's a creator. The fingerprints of God are everywhere. And so we answer that first question, which is critical. Where do we come from? It's either nothing <laughs> or uh, we came from God. The second question that we answered in, this, uh, in our series was what's wrong with the world? And we talked about that last week. And we answered the question, basically, what's going wrong with the world? We have. You and I have. Uh, we're sinners. Uh, and our sin has messed up our lives, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and ultimately our sin has brought brokenness into God's creation itself. And so we talked about that. And today we wrap up with the final uh, two questions. Does anybody at Stevensville or anybody at Ben Heights believe that I can answer two of these questions in one week? Um, hopefully there's a raucous uh, response of a yes that I can uh, quite possibly do this. Uh, and so when we look at our world and we think about these two questions, is there a solution to what's wrong? Is there a purpose uh, in this world? When we glance at our news, what it reminds us is that, is that questions and the answers to these questions matter. That worldview and, and the, the view that a person has uh, of their world uh, matters and that has tremendous power. The terrorists that committed atrocities in Paris and in Mali had a worldview, a world warped set of answers to these questions that motiv motivated them with a heinous acts of violence in what they did. They have a worldview that concludes that somehow fixing what's wrong with this world involves them strapping on bombs and killing innocent people. And that somehow the answer to this question is their purpose, is their the question of destiny. The answer to that is if you die in a holy war, a jihad, that you're going to go directly to heaven. It's a fast track to your eternal destiny. It's part of your purpose. Uh, just crazy answers to these ideas. Again, ideas matter. Believing the right answers to these questions 
matter. It's not, nearly, not merely enough to be sincere about what you believe and it doesn't matter what you believe. That's not the key you need. We need to believe what's right and what's true. The greatest enemy, I think, to a biblical Christian worldview is an idea, it's kind of a funny, crazy little word called syncretism. It's a Christian worldview's greatest enemy. Most of you probably never heard of this word. It's probably a new word, but you, but you might recognize the roots of the word. If I were to say, okay, everybody, we're going to synchronize our watches. What did that mean? It would mean when I count down, then we would all put our watches at the same time. We'd all do it together. We'd all change uh, where our watch is, and we'd all synchronize, and we'd all be one. Maybe you watched a movie where there's, maybe it's a kung fu movie where the, where the actors are acting whatever out and they're talking and their lips move and then they've got the, they've, they've put a voice over, over this, uh, originally it was uh, done in a different language. And so they've, they've synced the words, uh, the, the language with the, their lips, but it hasn't done such a good job. That's uh, that idea of syncing something. Synchronism is that the uh, syncretism is the idea of bringing conflicting worldviews together and trying to kind of mesh them or mold them into one, trying to sync them together. Conflicting worldviews where you're believing uh, different answers, different these questions, but you're trying to sync them together. We'll come back to that. I want you to just kind of hold that thought in tension in your mind that a Christian worldview's greatest enemy is syncretism. And let's get into the answers to these questions. So what do we do to fix it? What's the answer to these last two questions? And to find the answers, we're going to go to a guy by the name of Paul in Scripture in the New Testament. And he wrote to a church in what is present-day Turkey. And in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, this is, what, this is what he says. He's talking about Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, in those verses, we find the answer to the last two questions. Now, many of you know that uh, a couple months ago, I went uh, away from reading, or preaching on the NIV to the ESV. And I know our campus pastors have done that as well. Uh, but this week, when I was reading the NIV, I just had to share uh, how the NIV translate this, translate this passage, because there's a word I want you to catch in the NIV translation. And here it is, the NIV of Colossians 1. It says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and i love the word rescue paul says that that jesus in talking of jesus that he has rescued us the esv says, translates that greek word he has delivered us but i love that the imagery of the word rescues rescued in the way and what it conjures up in our mind in relation to what christ has done for us last week we talked about what's gone wrong with the world and we talked about that we are that we have gone wrong and 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 our sin and the horrible effects of our sin we totally under underestimate those effects and the christian worldview is the only honest answer to the question of what's gone wrong with the world and it's only the only answer to the to viable solution to fix what's gone wrong with the world and here we have it in this verse and it passes the sniff test it's what jesus did for us and it says that he is the answer. Our problem is fixed first. Our big fix is fixed. We have been rescued. We've been rescued from a dominion or a domain of darkness. 
We're a part of a world that is living in darkness. We're living in darkness, uh, you know, apart from Christ. And before we came into a relationship with Christ, or maybe you're not there yet, and if you're not in a relationship with Christ, that's the reality of, of where you are. That's what that scripture is saying, that we're living in darkness, that we, we, we've not quite seen the truth yet. We're in darkness to the reality of our sin. We're in darkness of our need of a Savior. We're in darkness to the reality of God's love for us and the truth of Jesus being our big fix, that we've been rescued. He's our rescuer. I've told you, uh, if you've been around here for some time, I've told you about how our family, we like to go down to the Current River. The Current River is a, is a, is a river we used to take youth camps, uh, uh, canoed down the Current River in southeast Missouri. And in... Uh, in, uh, in, uh, along the current river, there are different places to jump off and swing off trees and whatever. But the, one of these really cool places is there's a cave that you can walk back uh, into. And it takes you know, up to an hour to walk all the way back uh, in there. And you're climbing over things and under things. And it's totally, absolutely pitch dark. There's a little uh, river, a little creek uh, that runs through it as you're, as you're walking as you're going up and over, and, and we've gone in before, and the, like the person in the front has a flashlight, the person in the back has a flashlight, and you kind of help all the people that have no light kind of in the middle, but when the flashlight, when those lights are on the people, you know, on someone else, and you're just kind of there, you are in absolute pitch dark, and there's no way that you could ever get out of there on your own, and you can only get help when that person shines the light in your area of where you are to help you specifically. And if you ever get lost in pitch darkness with a group of people, there's no, I mean, you think about it, who's capable of rescuing you if you're in pitch darkness? It's not the people that are with you, it's someone that comes in from the outside. Someone that comes in with light from the outside. That's the person that can rescue you. And that's exactly what God did when he sent our, as our big fix, our rescuer Jesus as the light of the world to rescue us out of the darkness. And so you ask the question, well, well, how did he do that? How did he rescue us? And I am so glad you asked me that question because we have an answer to that. And so our big fix, not only is he our big, is he, we've been rescued, but we have been redeemed. We've been redeemed. Verse 13 says that he transferred or he brought us out of the darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son and then check out verse 14 again and he brought us into the kingdom that is of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins we have redemption how how does that made possible through the forgiveness of our sins through jesus christ that word that's translated redemption is one of the great words in scripture it's the idea of being bought back it's the idea of being set free from slavery it's the idea of being rescued like we have uh, in that 13th verse the year that I graduated from high school was 1987 in 1987 there was a there was a news story that CNN carried of a, of a young girl by the name of Jessica McClure and Jessica at the time in 1987 was a year and a half and she uh, was in her aunt's backyard here at her mom and the phone rang, and her mom runs inside to catch the phone, gone just like just a few minutes. And when she comes back, Jessica's nowhere to be found. And they, they search for Jessica, don't worry, she had a year and a half, just kind of started walking and, and don't, couldn't find her anywhere until finally they hear something, and she had fallen in an eight-inch uh, hole that was a well that had, that had been dug. It's a 22, and she'd fallen 22 feet down into this eight-inch hole rescuers come 
And they, uh, over the course of 59 hours, dig a hole parallel to that 8-inch hole. They dig a hole uh, uh, down parallel to uh, where Jessica was in that hole. They dig it down, and they're able to uh, dig under and then come up and, and rescue her out of that hole. 25 years later, just a few years ago, uh, Jessica got, uh, they had put money where people had donated. I mean, this is on CNN. I remember watching this event. I remember when they pulled little Jessica out of that hole where, where she was rescued uh, just a few years ago. Uh, um, she had turned 25. Uh, she's doing great. And she inherited uh, there was the money that was given during this 59-hour ordeal that was carried live on CNN. Uh, she, she, she was given uh, money. They had uh, put, it, put it away for her in a trust, and so she got to be 25. She just got $800,000 uh, for falling down a hole. She was a year and a half old. But what I want you to kind of think about is in terms of the fact that there was nobody in her family that could pull her out of that hole. There was no way that little Jessica, a year and a half old, years old, there's no way on her own that she was going to get out of that hole. It took professional rescuers to pull her out of that hole. Jesus Christ is our rescuer. We were trapped in our sin. We were in need of rescue. No way we could do it on our own. Jesus is the only one capable. And how did he rescue us? It's that word, redemption. We have been redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the, and I love that, that last little part, according to the riches of his grace. 2 Corinthians, another passage that has kind of, it kind of explains it, helps us to understand what's going on. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did something, and that's what this verse says, he did something that we couldn't do for ourselves. And I love the theological depth of what this passage is communicating when we think about this idea of we have been redeemed. He was made to be sin. So in other words, Jesus on the cross took our sin. He, he was made to be sin. He took our sin on him on the cross. But that's not it. I mean, we understand that. So he died for our sins. So we get that. But sometimes we forget the other part of his life and what he did for us in living. It's, it's more than just what he did in dying, but about the living part. That we think about when we think about uh, that Jesus, yes, died, but what, what did he do? He, he lived. He lived this right life. He lived a life perfectly, righteously. And to make up a word, he lived sinless, uh, sinlessly. So his righteousness, it says, became our righteousness. So our, his righteousness was put on, our, uh, put on us. So when we stand before a perfect God, a holy God, we can stand before him in Christ. And so again, that's what this passage says, that we might become the righteousness of of God. We have been redeemed. We have been rescued. We have been made right, set right before God. He did things that we could never do on our own. His death matters. His life matters. There's one final question. So what's our purpose? You might think of it in terms of what's our destiny? Is there a reason for living? Is there life after death? Is there more than, than just what's going on in this world? 
So when we think about the answer to those other questions, if there is no God, so without God, without, uh, is there a fix? And without God, without, you know, the world views that say, well, nothing's wrong with the world. So without the Redeemer, without the Rescuer, there, and you think about, we, there, there is no God. What that you come down to when you have an honest assessment, when you carry those thoughts out and you think about, is there a purpose? Is there a destiny? If there's no God, if there's no Redeemer, if there's no Rescuer, if there's nothing wrong going on, when you see the brokenness of our world, what that world those worldviews ultimately end in is utter despair when there is an honest assessment of the human condition without hope and without life beyond this life and the hope of the life beyond the answer to these questions about purpose and destiny is despair when i was a teen i used to love um, reading edgar Allan poe i loved his short stories and he wrote his probably most thing that really made him famous was a poem that he wrote called the raven the raven uh, just captures the despair that one endures when kind of asking or facing the ultimate questions of life and death uh, without god the individual in this poem the raven uh, has just lost the love of his life has lost lenore and he is sitting in his chamber in his house in this room and he's obviously kind of well off he's in his chamber and he's uh and this poem is about him just kind of just in that despair in that 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 kind of struggling in that anguish of of the losing the love of his life and he's kind of wrestling with is there life after death and and what's going on and is there hope and all those things and into that night he gets a visitor a raven ravens by the way can can speak simple words parrot kind of like a parrot can they can say simple words and so he chose the raven to help him illustrate because his poe and so here's poe and he takes the reader on a journey into that misery let me read part of that poem once upon a midnight dreary while i pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, I distinctly remember, it was in bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor i mean does that not kind of give you the heebie-jeebies to just think about this guy in the darkness and 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 hearing this knock and 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 he starts then a conversation with the visitor and the visitor was this raven he begins to ask him questions these questions that he's wrestling with and he says this toward the end of the poem he says tell me truly i implore is there is there balm in gilead and tell me tell me i implore quote the raven never more he asked the question the, is there is there balm in gilead is there hope after the grave is there is there life after death those those key questions what's our destiny when the when the when that poem is started and he first gets this visitor he's he, he kind of He's, it's kind of amusing nonsense, the, the answer this bird, the raven, gives to his questions, this nevermore. But here at the end, when he asks these questions, and as, as his heart is being probed, that answer of nevermore becomes a 
haunting, horrifying prophecy. Here's Lenore, the love of his life, his hope, his eternity. And, and he asks the question, the answer is, never more. He concludes then at the end, toward the end of the, end of the poem, he says, Take thy beak from my heart and take thy form off my door. Quote the raven, never more. And without, without God, with, with a worldview without Christ, a worldview without the hope of eternity, has the raven as an appropriate spokesman, never more, never more, never more. But for the Christian, the biblical worldview has an answer. It has an answer to the purpose, the question of purpose and destiny. An answer to a life that can be filled with hope and, and destiny. If we think back to that text, that Colossians text, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been rescued. We have been rescued out of the hopelessness, been rescued out of the despair and we've been brought into something, into the kingdom of the beloved son, of the son that he loves. So we have been rescued from something to something. So here is our grand destiny. And our grand destiny is that we have the privilege of being, becoming eternal kingdom citizens. We have been rescued from that state to something. To become an eternal eternal. Uh, a kingdom citizen. It's not nevermore, it's evermore is our answer. For God so loved the world that whoever gave, uh, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever be believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So it's not just that also that our future destiny matters, but also that there's a purpose now. There's an answer to the question. And so again, we've been saved from something, rescued from something, to something, or for something. And so the Christian worldview has an answer to the question of our destiny, has an answer to the question of our purpose. And so our grand design, not only that we're eternal kingdom citizens, but that we're eternal kingdom brokers. That we're working for it, that we're working at it, that I'm, that I'm, in a, that I'm a member or an ambassador of the kingdom, that we're expanding it, that we have a purpose in it. That we've been brought into the kingdom uh, for a reason. And here at First Church, that we, we define that reason as, uh, we, we talk in terms of that we're restoring God's ideal. And God's ideal we see in the garden when he was in perfect harmony with his, with his creation and with the people that, that he had created. And they were in harmony with each other. And so we see this, this wonderful harmony. And that's what we work to, to try to, this side of eternity, do the best job that we can to restore God's ideal. That he wants to be back in relationship with people. He wants to, to, things that are broken to be made right and be restored. And that's our, that's our vision. That's our hope. That's, that's our purpose. That's our mission here in this world. If we go back to that idea, I said we come back to that idea of syncretism. We have to be careful not to take our Christian worldview and try to sync it with other worldviews like materialism or hedonism or humanism. 
We have to be careful not to, to sink what we talked about in the answers to these questions that, that are so vital. And we get the answers right. But even when we get the answers right intellectually, we live like we uh, have some other answer to these questions. So we try to sink this, these other worldviews, this worldview of Christianity with these, the, like a worldview of materialism. Like the world is what I see, feel, touch is all that I can know. And so, and so we live like we don't have hope because we, we act like this is all there is. And so we get, come down with some debilitating disease or that some doctor says that, that your life's going to be cut short and we and our world falls apart when but when we have a christian worldview that there is a destiny we can't we can't sink these ideas together we can't sink the idea that the person that dies with the most toys wins and our life in this world this side of eternity come becomes all about acquiring more and getting more and and trying to have more stuff at the expense of others and and it's all about me our worldview cannot be synced with this idea of eat drink and be merry because tomorrow we die it does not work it destroys a biblical worldview to try to sink it with these other inferior, empty worldviews of our age. We have been rescued for something. We are kingdom brokers. And a Christian worldview has a clear answer to the question of purpose. And it's not just about ourselves. We have a new way of expressing this. And it's called Love Berrien here at, uh, at First Church. And Love Berrien is an effort where we're trying to to live out our purpose, trying to live out our destiny in this world and try to restore God's ideal to get outside the walls of the church. And so, and so we're going through some, uh, what we're trying to do is try to get all of our sections at each campus, at each service. We have different sections uh, across our, uh, our, our campuses. Some have multiple ones. We might have be a part of one uh, uh, section community. But these section communities, uh, we want to, as a group, to get out into the world, to get out in our community, to get out into Berrien County. And uh, one of our uh, section committees, one of our first projects, and we've got some, we've got the uh, front page uh, story here, uh, uh, was uh, First Church Lets Its Light Shine. Uh, and this is, this is us. This is us getting out. This is us letting the light of Christ shine in our world. We have res- been rescued and we want to go into the darkness and rescue others. That's the big idea. There's another picture of, of, of people that are serving. Here we are putting wreaths together. They may not seem real spiritual, but what does, what does Matthew 5 say? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so I want to encourage you to find places where you can live out your faith. And this is a, an expression that we can do together across all of our campuses, three campuses in three different communities, but all of us trying to find our place and knowing that, that this world, it's not just about us, but we want to serve, we want to love, we want to live out beyond these walls. And that's just one expression. I, we all have to find our place of living out our faith and what that looks like. This week, as I concluded, John Ortberg, he was talking about Jesus, and I just want to share some thoughts that he had as we think about our great grand rescuer and following him as we define the answers to these questions of purpose and destiny. Jesus is our rescuer. He's our redeemer. He's the one that taught us to turn the other cheek. He's the one that taught us and spoke words about forgiveness, about loving even our enemies. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we understand that they were not just words. They, it wasn't just rhetoric. When he was on the cross, he was being crucified. He, he looked at the people, those that, that, that were, had gathered there. Some of them had beat him. He, they had placed him there on that cross. We're, uh, we, you know, we're, we're also guilty of that as well. But what did Jesus say of the ones that had put him on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
we see Jesus living out what he said of loving his enemies, of forgiving his enemies. His followers remembered his words and remembered his example. And they began to live and began to die the same way that he did. Nero in those first centuries after, and one of those first centuries after Christ was crucified and rose again. He would take Christ's followers and he would cover them with pitch and he would light them as human torches at his gladiator games. And that with other Roman emperors and other persecutions that they, they, they went on and off through the first three centuries. And their response, the Christian, the Christ followers response, because they had this understanding, this worldview, was not to dream of a day when they would get their revenge. Not to dream of a day when they would stand together in an armed revolt and turn over that kingdom that was oppressing them. The vision that they had was the vision that Jesus lived out was to love and to forgive. And that's what they did as they lived and as they died, to forgive like Jesus. And so the real question for us today is not who was this man? Was he the rescuer? Was he the redeemer? But is he? Is he that for you? Is he your, your rescuer? Is he your redeemer? This Jesus who is the hinge of history, who is the hope of the oppressed, who is the rescuer of those in darkness, who is the inspiration of the despairing, who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Is he your rescuer? Is he your redeemer? He is Jesus, and he is the greatest teacher that ever taught. He's the greatest mind that ever thought. He's the greatest gift giver that ever gave. He launched the greatest movement ever known, and he called us to follow him with purpose and destiny, to follow him, to restore his ideal. Not some small, weak-willed worldview that can't see past the end of our nose, but a worldview where we give everything as we follow him. And that's the reason as we respond to his call, that we must marvel at this man who is not done in this world or with our generation. Our world is waiting for a fresh conversation, a fresh manifestation of this man and his vision, of what might happen if we have a radical expression of compassion, if we would fight as kingdom people for peace and justice in our world if we would fight and stand up for dignity for the marginalized and education for those that are left out and inspiration within the arts and the calls of of the mighty to be humbled before jesus as we follow him what would happen if we began to live out selfless expressions of jesus as his followers what if we did that in greater measure than any generation before what could be? What could be? Will you live your life to follow Jesus, who is our purpose, and who in him fulfills our destiny? Heavenly Father, we just want to now turn this service over to our campus pastors. And Father, I pray that you would begin to work in the hearts and the minds of people I know as you already have, as we think about our response to a worldview that brings meaning and purpose and destiny into our lives for this world, help us, God, to understand how we must, must follow Jesus with an utter abandonment unlike any other generation, but in our generation to do it in such a way that our world can see the truth and the reality and the, and, and the rightness of a worldview where Jesus is at the center. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray.